And now, this KRWC Radio special presentation. KRWC Radio presents Conversations with Veterans. Brought to you by the American Legion in Maple Lake. A full-service restaurant with daily lunch specials, a salad bar, happy hour, bingo, meat raffles, and much more. Like the American Legion in Maple Lake on Facebook. And now here is today's program moderator, Kendall Kubosh. Well, I've been called a lot of things, but I've never been called a moderator before. But I guess that is my job today, Kendall Kubosh, here for KRWC Radio. And I'm sitting in a room. I'm honored to be sitting in a room with a bunch of uh, fine veterans here. We're going to have them introduce themselves now, starting from my left over here. Go ahead and let us know who you are and uh, where you live currently. Ted Mavencamp, Maple Lake. Tara Morvant, Monticello. David Toythart, South St. Paul. Jane Hurley, Montrose, Minnesota. All right, so there's our uh, starting lineup of veterans today, and I'll just uh, share this with you. I'm not expecting it to go completely off the tracks at any one time, but any of the opinions that these, uh, that these veterans have are entirely their own. They don't re- reflect necessarily the uh, values of KWC Radio or myself or anybody else. This is their story and their opinion and I want them to just tell it exactly like it is. We're going to go back to my left here to Ted Mavencamp. Uh, Ted, you were, what was your position uh, in, in the service? What branch did you serve in? Tell us a little bit about your time. I was a member of the Minnesota Army National Guard. Um, I served from 89 until 2011. Um, I served pretty much entirely my whole time out of the Litchfield unit. Um, we were combat engineers. Um, when I retired in 2011, I was the company first sergeant there. Um, and we had two deployments, one to Kosovo in 03 to 04, and one to Iraq in 07, 08. Okay. Okay, very good. Now we're going to swing around a little bit. This is uh, Tara. Tell her, uh, Tara, tell us your story a little bit, what your, uh, what your job was and when you served. Hi, this is Tara. Um, I entered the uh, Air Force in 1989, and I did my four years active duty. I um, lived in Alaska for three years while I was active duty. Um, I got out and I had about a year gap before I joined the 934th Airlift Wing in Minneapolis. And um, there I did another 21 years. Uh, I, um, see, in 2002, early 2002, shortly after 9-11, my unit went to Saudi Arabia where we worked on um, basically uh, civil engineering things, construction type things, uh, building um, barricades for the aircraft in the munitions storage area. Um, in 03, I did a short tour in United Arab Emirates where um, just did a lot of maintenance fixes type things. And in 2007 and 2010, I did long tours to Afghanistan. Um, so that was... Uh, so you've been around, you've been deployed, you got to spend some time overseas. Yeah, so. and and um, in my reserve unit, we went, we've been all over. We've been to uh, Germany and and um, England, and um, you know, I've just been all over Europe and all over the United States, um, just having fun. And having fun and doing <laughs> and, your job. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was very much. I learned so much, um, even even though sometimes it wasn't always fun. It was. Definitely a learning experience, and it's really made me a, a, you know, a well-rounded person. There you go. 
There you go. We're, we're honored today. We've got uh, two women with us, which is great, and we also have family members. Who's that guy sitting uh, to your left there? This is my dad, you know, father, Dave Twitebach. Father and, and daughter situation. Hey, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about when you served and what you did? I was a U.S. Navy from regular from 1966 to 71. Uh, two years I spent at Patuxent River, Maryland, at the Naval Air Test Center, experimental aircraft. Uh, the next tours was Vietnam in 70 and 71, and I was discharged from there. Uh, I flew with a, a Huey gunship squadron that our primary job was insertions and extractions of SEALs and, and search and rescue. Uh, in the reserves, I was assigned to units at Lemoore, California, Corpus Christi, Texas, Point Magoo, California, and uh, North, my last was Norfolk, Virginia. So you, you got around, including some uh, time during the uh, the armed conflict over there in Vietnam. Now if we've got somebody here that you may already know because she may have uh, taken apart your refrigerator or fixed your washer or dryer at some point. So uh, I'm glad to have Jane Hurley. Jane, tell us about yourself. Um, I served uh, active and reserve in the Navy from 81 to 03. Um, I was trained initially as an interior communications electrician for phones and alarm systems, but I did a lot of security work. I went over to the Philippines for three and a half years for um, customs work. Then I went to uh, um, the country of Greece, where I did do phones, but it was on shore base. And then uh, three years in San Francisco for... Um, at the Brig at Treasure Island, and I was the fe- first female duty warden that they ever had that was female. Did you have a lot? Did you have a lot of female clients in the? No, break? it was all male. All male, and okay. um, we kept the bad boys locked down. Okay, uh, and basically it was a bunch of eighteen to twenty-one year olds, naughty nose kids that hadn't figured out what they wanted to do in the world. But, they, they didn't know enough not to punch that it, officer. It, it just wasn't smart. <laughs> there you go. And now you're back uh, stateside, and you've been for years. And I kind of alluded to it a little bit. You've got a business here in the Wright County area. Yes, I uh, fix appliances in the Wright County area. Hurley Appliance Repair. Early appliance. So if you've got a refrigerator or freezer or something on the blink, just give her a call, and Jane will probably tell you a bunch of uh, career stories, too, from her time in the Navy. I think it's really kind of uh, unique. We've got one Army guy and three Navy people here. Usually when you when you say show of hands if you were in the service, you don't get anywhere near that ratio. Uh, no Marines today. We've got uh, some Air Force. Air Force. Air Force yeah. here, too, and that's, uh, that's another one. My son is in the Coast Guard. And uh, it's hard to find a Coast Guardsman because they're better at hiding, I think, than anybody else. So. But uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that, uh, that you've done uh, in the service, during your time in the service, some stories that may come to mind about specific things. I'm going to take a look here at my, my timer, if I can get it to turn on here. And why don't we do this? Uh, we'll send this back uh, to Jake here, and we'll uh, uh, do a, uh, a quick uh, commercial break, and then we'll be back with more conversations with veterans after this. The American Legion in Maple Lake is a restaurant with a full-service menu, daily lunch specials, and salad bar. They have happy hour, bingo, on Tuesdays, and meat raffles on Fridays and Sundays. Their hours are complicated, so listen closely. Mondays through Wednesday, 11 to 10 p.m., Thursdays, 11 to 11, Fridays and Saturdays, 11 to 12.30 a.m., and Sundays, 11.30 to 7. If you missed any of those times, just go on their Facebook page, the American Legion in Maple Lake. Try them out for lunch, and you'll be coming back for dinner. Yes, once again, special thanks to the American Legion here for their hospitality today. They gave us a great uh, 
a great venue down here. We're down in the basement, which might sound kind of bad, but it's got great acoustics, not a lot of echoes down here, so we're going to enjoy our time. We're going to go back to my left here to Ted, and we're going to have you talk a little bit about uh, uh, maybe a story or two from your, some of your deployments and some of the things that happened uh, to you and with you. And, and don't be afraid to talk about some of the buddies you had or relationships you had or fun you had. This is not a day of... This is not a day of mourning. This is not Memorial Day. This is Veterans Day. Let's have some fun. Let's tell some stories about the good times in the time of the service. Well, both deployments we provided, we were security forces for both deployments, both uh, peacekeeping in Kosovo. Um, so we spent a lot of time there interacting with the locals, um, especially the kids. seemed like the kids, and it doesn't matter where, where you're deployed to, they're the ones that gravitate towards the forces that are there. Um, but we we formed some pretty good bonds with a lot of the people that we worked with there, the locals, um, and also the local police forces, um, especially in Kosovo. We worked kind of alongside them with some of the enforcement that we did. Um, had meals at a couple of different local mayor's houses while we were there, um, getting to know the area and the issues that needed to be Addressed up to the UN, at least there in Kosovo. Where you were at, where you were at at that time, was uh, was your life in danger? Was it a pretty uh, peaceful place, or did you have to watch where you went and what you did? It was pretty peaceful. There really wasn't much that we had to watch for. The worst thing that was there was uh, it was St. Patrick's Day of 2004. Um, there were some pretty huge um, protests and riots in the town of Jalan that we were based outside of. Um, well, I've been in Maple Lake for some St. Patrick's Day. It got kind of wild, too. <laughs> that was a little bit more than that. <laughs> okay. So, But that was that was pretty hairy there. I mean, the 34th Infantry Division was in charge of the U.S. sector there. And I know the general that was in charge there, he was, from what he was watching, he was really close to pulling the trigger. But then he saw kids in the crowd. Okay. And backed off. Yeah. Well, just because of everything that was happening. Yeah. Well, that's just it's it tough. Cooler cooler heads have to prevail. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the best that's definitely yep. the, the best option. And then you spent some time over in Iraq, uh, 07 and 08. At, uh, mm -hmm. What kind of duties did you have there? Uh there we had security as well. We were on one of the smaller bases that's around the Baghdad International Airport. Um we provided the base security for the special forces Green Berets that were operating in the country. Um Provided the base security, and then we also patrolled a small area outside the base there. And there again, we interacted with the locals a lot and kids. There was one of the towns that we in. We always each patrol we went out. We had one interpreter that went with us, and there was a kid that was in the main town, and uh, he became my personal interpreter because he understood and spoke English pretty well. So. When we got there, I'd send our interpreter off with the other guys, and he and I would walk around and talk to whoever I needed to talk to. Have you have you kept up any kind of communications with him after you left? No, because there was they had no contact information that we could get from them at the time. Yep. So there's a there's a television show on right now. I don't know if you've seen it. And I can't recall the name of it. It's like the U.S. of Al or something like this. And the guy brought his interpreter back. Mm -hmm. And he's uh, living. Of course, it's a, it's a fictional show, mm -hmm. but I would imagine that some of those bonds got to be pretty pretty close over there. Yes, for some of the units, especially the ones that were in more the combat roles and stuff, where those interpreters were 
pretty life, much alongside fighting with them. Yeah, and, your life kind of depended on them, I guess, yeah, if and, good information or bad information. Yeah, he had to protect them just as much as yeah. anybody else in your crew. Very good. Well, um, that was uh, an experience, I'm sure, that you didn't expect to do when you were 15, 16 years old. No. Now you look back at it and you say, if you had it all to do over again, would you? Oh, yes. For sure. Great, yep. great answer there. Very good. All right, let's slide it along over here to Tara. And um, your, uh, your time that you spent, and I'm looking down at my notes here, you spent some time in Alaska. Was uh, Were the natives there very friendly, or did you have to uh, fend, oh, yeah. fend no. them off? <laughs> <laughs> Alaska is an amazing, amazing place. And uh, lots of things to do and see. Um, it, it's kind of funny, um, you know. I spent three years in Alaska, and it's funny what a small world the military really is. I think it's like statistically like half of half of one percent of the U.S. population serves in the military. I, that, I may be a little off with that statistic, so I don't. Um, we won't fact. We won't fact check you. You're, you're okay. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so I spent that active duty time in Alaska, and then, and then 15 years later, 20 years later, I'm in Afghanistan, and and here comes, you know, you know, Joe, somebody or another that I, you know, hey, shouting out, hey, Tara, <laughs> and and you know, all that time and all that distance, yeah, to go all the time circle. and all that distance, yep. and. Uh, and then I'm in Afghanistan, and I hear a voice. I look up from my desk, and here it is—a guy, you know, that I was you know, pretty close friends with. And you know, 20 years later, in Afghanistan, here we are. Um, you mentioned you're <laughs> you're in Afghanistan, you're Saudi Arabia, and also the United Arab Emirates. Yes. Uh, over there for for a period of time. Um, obviously, there was no. Well, I shouldn't say no. The the, the temperament towards Americans was probably. Somewhere in the middle and maybe somewhat aggressive towards you. Did you ever feel like we, you were in any danger there? Um, my civil engineering unit, we weren't allowed to leave the base. This, in Saudi Arabia, we were there in early 2002, so not too long after 9-11, and we, you know, we flew in under blackout conditions. It's kind of you know, interesting when they turn off every single light on an aircraft and um, even the little floor strip lights go off and... And you fly in in the cover of night um, to avoid being detected. Um, and there, my unit did. Um, we made uh, revetments for the aircraft um, and sunshade to keep the aircraft under under cover and um, fencing around the munitions storage area. Um, United Arab Emirates was a little different. Did some plumbing and maintenance of the the portable latrine areas and um, just general maintenance around there. Uh, and uh, at about my 15-year mark, uh, I cross-trained to personnel. Uh, so my deployment in 07 was as a personnelist, and so I had that was um, uh, we did. Um, reporting for uh, the um, any deaths. Um, people people think uh, about uh, service service men and women and, and all the action that happens. There's a lot more behind the scenes. There's what ten or fifteen or twenty support people to every uh, 
frontline soldier, yeah. uh, and, and they take uh, everything from uh, building bridges and, and keeping plumbing functioning the way it should to uh, being sure the logistics of the next food and the next fuel yeah. and all yeah. those things get yeah. in place. We monitored, we had to monitor very closely uh, the people that were incoming and outgoing because we can't have more people there than than we absolutely need and uh, in Afghanistan there was constantly weather conditions, um, you know, believe it or not, Afghanistan gets a lot of snow in the winter and it gets very cold and there's so weather delays a lot of people coming in and and um, it's not not really what people would think. It's either. not it's not Minnesota even though no. we have uh, sixteen no. seasons that all, that all kind of overlap sometime. You can have summer the same day you yeah. have winter. You never know in Minnesota. And I so. and and when I was there I wish I could wished I could teleport my children there for just five minutes to see that these kids aren't running around with cell phones and their little Game Boys and things like that. The kids play with rocks like the old like you play with the you know, the game Jack. Mm-hmm bounce the ball and, you know, so they would throw the rock in the air and pick right. up one rock, throw the rock in the air, pick yeah. up two. It, they, they don't have... It's a whole different existence, and I, I know that there's a lot of times when, when people here don't, they don't really picture that in their mind, how lucky we have it, and we definitely uh, do have it, extremely lucky. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump over one, uh, one person here, thank you for that, and we're going to go to Jane, as, and uh, I'm going to ask you both a question, and we, both of your mics are hot, so sure. I'll go ahead and, and do this. Um, as a female in the military, now it's quite common. Years ago, it was less and less common. Um, did you feel, and, and be honest, did you feel like you were treated fairly? Did you feel like, like you were, uh, there was some prejudice, or do you feel like you were maybe, maybe given a little bit more liberty than a male would have in the same, same position? Go ahead. Why don't you start, uh, I guess my biggest thought and direction was that I had trouble getting promoted because there was only so many positions for my specialty phones and alarm systems. So I got sent to the Philippines after being trained to do phones and did security work because there wasn't a spot for me to be. Okay. And then I, so it was hard to get promoted. Don't I know if that was really gender bias as much as it was career happened to be or your um, specialty bias. Kind of, but they just didn't have that many. It, they were just putting females in the service in those positions. If I could have got a on a ship, it would have been a whole different story about getting promoted. Mm-hmm. And because if you don't do it, you don't get right. seen that way. Right, Tara. Do you have any uh, any uh, response or whatever to that as as far as how you were maybe treated at any time by the male the male participants in the uh, area there? Or, or uh... when I went in in '89, uh, I got to my duty station, and and at that time there was still a lot of uh, guys around from the Korean War and Vietnam, and of course, and, and you know, as civilians, and and sometimes they had the, you got the impression that they didn't think women should be in the military, and you'd say good morning, good morning, chief, or whatever, and, you, you know, and then the guys, you know, would say good morning, oh yeah, hey, how you doing, and and so it wasn't you, you, they, they didn't. They didn't. Um, they didn't put you in the welcome wagon. <laughs> Did you tell them that your dad could kick their butt? Because I think yeah. he probably could. And would. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, and then you know, I don't want to get too in too much into um, 
answer. Don't don't worry about that. It's the Legion phone. We'll let them answer upstairs. <laughs> there was there was some some sexual harassment that you know took place. Quite you know, um, but I I thought that I had to kind of work harder than the guys. I was in civil yeah. engineering, and I had to work harder and longer. I had to be you know I was more I was held more held more accountable. Um, and so my my approach was just to outwork them, and uh, take more initiative than they did, and um, and it served me well. Um, and when I got out of active duty and into the reserve, um, you know, I was one of one of five females in well, four females in a squadron of 250 people, okay. and so that that's a that's a big um, big number big difference, but I found that the reserves was much more laid back and welcoming, and they took me in as their little sister and okay. and, and and raised me up to be you know very confident. I retired as a master sergeant. Um, I had a medical retirement um, after uh, after my last tour to Afghanistan. Um, I had some uh, mental health problems. Uh, PTSD and okay. and depression and, yeah. and uh, so I've struggled with that yeah. uh, part of it. Um, so I'm going to just pop it back here real quick to Jane, and I'm just going to say that um, it sounds like from Tara and also from you a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you this this starting point. You're both you're both intelligent, um, well-rounded, as you said, uh, individuals. Now you top that off with the the military aspect of things. Um, it's it's made you. I'm guessing it's made you tougher. It's, it's made you a lot more. I, I couldn't be a business owner and see my world in the direction it went. I mean, it it kind of evolved. But I'm a leader of people. I'm very good at explaining things. Anybody that's ever had me at the house, um, they understand exactly what happened. And so it's that. Well, just so you know, though, too, there is some an old saying. That says you the the mechanic has to be smarter than the refrigerator. So Maybe. In our, in our <laughs> and there's some pretty damn dumb refrigerators. Yeah, well, and there's probably well, there. probably <laughs> some right now with a lot more chips in them than, than you would ever want to have. So uh, we're having a roundtable veterans conversation here. We're in the basement, the beautiful basement of the Legion here in um, uh, Maple Lake, Minnesota. We're going to take a short break here, and then we'll be back, and we're going to keep going around with the conversation. I'm going to take a look at my uh, clock here if I can, and I don't know why I left my wristwatch at home. We are at uh, 2.24. We're going to try to uh, continue with the live people and stay with us because we're probably going to end up going a little bit over. Uh, I had the great, great opportunity and fortune to interview uh, now 99-year-old Art Gugamus, and we'll be joining him by tape, and that will be at the end of our live discussion here. So look forward to going a little after 3 o'clock as we're certainly not going to cut this conversation short. We'll be back right after this break. Hi, I'm Dave Larkin inviting you to celebrate KRWC's 50th anniversary. Join us on Sunday, November 14th from 1 until 3 p.m. at the V by H&H in Maple Lake. We'll be sharing coffee and cake. This is a great opportunity to meet the voices you hear every day on KRWC and to help us celebrate 50 years of broadcasting. Join us Sunday, November 14th from 1 until 3 p.m. at the V by H&H in Maple Lake to celebrate 50 years of radio for Wright County, KRWC. All right, Kendall Kubosh, back here 
at the Legion, and we, uh, I'm joined by uh, four great veterans here. And, in fact, we've got a little peanut gallery with a couple more out there. And this has always kind of been one of my, one of my dreams to do this with a live audience, actually have a, a room with 30, 20, 30 people out there and actually let some questions and stuff come from the audience, too. We're not quite there yet with this, but we're, uh, we're going give to give it a try here as we hopefully do it in years to come. I've got a couple of little points here. This was handed out. We think it was handed out during the Wright County Fair. It seems to be the, the or, origination point of this. It's a, a history of women in the U.S. military, and there's a whole, there's four pages here with some very good information, but some of these took me a little bit by surprise. 1917 to 1918, during World War I, women served as nurses and support staff and more than 400 are killed in action. That number just astounded me uh, that that long ago that we had that many uh, women and female casualties. Uh, going up into the World War II uh, era, 41 to 45, uh, 400,000 women served in non-combat roles, and we had six, 88 were taken prisoner and 16 were killed in action. That was in, uh, in World War II. I thought that was also a, a pretty astounding statistic. Then coming up to the Vintage of some of our guests here today during the Vietnamese War, 11,000 military women are deployed to Vietnam, 90% of whom serve as nurses, and eight women were also killed in action there uh, going up to Desert Storm. They had 41,000 service women. Now, that's a huge jump. That's a lot of, a lot of people coming back in a war that was not a world war. Uh, they were deployed to the Middle East, and two women were taking, taken as prisoners of war by the Iraqi forces. So that kind of puts it into, uh, into your time frame there a little bit, Tara, as far as... Uh, some of the things that happened in some of the areas that you were. Uh, we're going to go continue on. We just had, uh, we're going to get back to uh, Dave here in just a little bit, and we're going to go kind of back on the table here again and talk a little bit to uh, Mr. Mavenkamp. Uh, what's your, you, you're out of the service now, and obviously like these ladies were saying, you've probably had some, some influence that came into your life, and uh, what's, your, what's your career now? What are you doing? I'm an electrician, and because I was in the Guard for the entire time, I've been an electrician since, 94, so, and they, they kind of paralleled each other as I started out as an apprentice in the electrical field, and then also as a private in the Army, you know, both with little experience, and as your experience grows, your confidence grows, and I think my military service really helped me in the civilian side, too, with work, with being able to manage more people on a job, managing the details, getting into bigger and bigger projects. Um, just got done wiring up a huge commercial building from the ground up down in Wyzetta about a year ago. Um, probably the biggest commercial job that our company has done. Okay. And Did any of your training, obviously the experience transferred over to your civilian life, but were you able to bring any of your training? Did you come out of the service as a journeyman or a master, or how did you come out of the service? Uh, no, no. The surface was we were combat engineers. We dealt with explosives and mines and obstacle making and so. Okay. Yeah, you, you can't really transfer. No, those those things don't. Side. Yeah, I I do hear could, though. But it wouldn't be good. I do hear stories. I do hear stories from people that uh, that take training and take tests in the military, and some of that is transferable mm -hmm. into yes. like as nurses, mil um, uh, medical people, and stuff like that. Their training. Is also usable then in yeah, their you civilian did, life. You so. will, you, you, I'm sorry to interrupt. You You're not interrupting. This is a roundtable discussion. When you progress through your uh, career training, you are trained as super. You get training for as supervisors and management, and and so there are a lot of uh, skills that do transfer over. Um, 
you can't just become a supervisor of people with as you progress in rank without taking the career education classes that that are mandatory for you. So you do end up with mm-hmm. a lot of people skills training and um, you know that stuff is all all very transferable. Yeah, like like Jane had said too, there's a lot of it that rubs off on you, and you may not even know it at the time, but all of a sudden you've got to deal with a customer or you've got to deal. Uh, one thing I was going to mention, everybody, unless you're the president of the United States, uh, everybody has somebody over them, and a lot of people had people under them that mm-hmm. they had to work with, so you learn those management skills from both aspects of, of where you are with that. So uh, very good. We're going to take a, take a listen now to uh, Dave. Dave served in the Navy. He was a door gunner for some of his time. He served from 66 to 71, and then again from 72 to uh, 96 in the reserves. Uh, uh, Combat, obviously, uh, some people have a, a no trouble talking about it. Other people do. I don't want you to share anything that you're not comfortable with, but tell us about maybe your most intense uh, period of time when you were in the service. Oh, probably, probably the most intense was uh, we had an aircraft that wound up in the rice paddies due to a tail rotor gearbox being being shot out, and it got got pretty tight before... The army could come in with a Chinook helicopter, and uh, and then there was a lot of uh, SEAL team insertions. Insertions were were fine. Uh, extractions can cannot be fun. So, so for people that are just uh, listening and, and hearing some of these terms for the first time, when you are inserting a SEAL, you're bringing them back to or behind enemy lines. You're putting them in harm's way, yes. and then you get the heck out of there again yes. and wait for them to call you back again. So, okay. So you've just dropped off a bunch of SEALs. And then to go, then later on come back and get them. And you know, contrary to what uh, you know, what some politicians and former Navy people said when he witnessed atrocities with the seals, the seals never let uh, anybody go with them. And uh, you know, they were there to do a job. It was a tough yeah. job, and they they needed to do it. So you were taking fire. Obviously, yes. I'm guessing on the extractions, especially because by then the secret was out. They they knew where you yeah. were. And uh, you had to get them picked up and get them out of there again. So tell us about how that worked. Well, the, probably the worst one or uh, kind of tense was we were extracting a, a group of SEALs, and they'd been in a running running fight for quite a while. And the other two aircraft in our group were out of you – know, they had ammunition. We were out of it. And so we were the ones that landed to extract, uh, and I remember one seal as I stepped outside with an M14. He came and took my 45 out of my holster and stood alongside of me and provided cover. Oh, cool! Very cool. How many were in a, were in your group of seals? Would you drop off five, ten, twenty? How many would you drop? Off? No, usually usually only four to five. Four or five, and they were there to. Uh, like reconnaissance was their main mission, or what were they there to do when you dropped yes, them off? Yes, and other types of missions if they were going after somebody. Okay. Okay. Then you'd pick them up. Hopefully, you got off the ground fine. How far would you fly back? What was your What was your range that you'd have to fly? Oh, you know, 80, 90 miles. 80 or 90 miles. And what kind of airspeed did those choppers have? Well, most of the time, we were only flying around just a little over 100 knots, uh, 125 knots. And uh, one, one of the plus sides of... Being around the seals, as I met the son of G. Gordon Liddy, who was a seal while I was in the reserves in Norfolk, mm-hmm. and then he introduced me to G. Gordon also. Oh wow, very very and, cool. Uh, 
Well, in Maryland, I had the privilege of standing President Eisenhower's funeral. And then I later on, I volunteered to stand the funeral for Captain McVeigh, who was the commanding officer of the Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And he committed suicide, and there were a lot of people that didn't. They told us our careers were, you know, weren't, wouldn't be enhanced by mm-hmm. volunteering. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to ask a question of the group here as I take a look at my uh, at my clock. I've got two thirty three. Um, I'm good to go with this group. We've got a, uh, a number of minutes we can go yet. We're still good to go. All right, I'm going to throw it back to Jake at the station. Jake is our engineer today. I'm going to have him do another little break here, and we'll come back and we'll have some more conversations with veterans after this. It's that time of year again. <laughs> time for Turkey Shoot 2021, next Tuesday through Saturday here on KRWC. Your opportunity to take aim and try to get yourself a big old turkey from some of our participating sponsors. Turkey Shoot 2021, Tuesday, November 16th through Saturday, November 20th, here on Radio for Wright County, KRWC. Okay, we're just uh, coming back here real quick after that short break, and I'm with uh, four heroes. Um, I'm going to ask you, kind of go work our way around the table here, uh, who is your hero? Who is somebody, military, family member, fictional character? I don't, I don't want it to be Jabba the Hutt, but <laughs> I don't care who it is. Who do, you, who do you consider a hero when you think about somebody who's been a hero in your life? Go ahead, we'll start over here with, uh, with Ted. I'd say probably my grandpa, Maven Camp. He just... Growing up underneath him, I mean, he was kind of like a second father. I spent a lot of time on the farm with him, and just the way he was with everybody that was around him. Okay. I, the Maven, the Maven Camp name, and if you're not familiar with it here in in Maple Lake, you can't uh, swing a dead cat without getting real close to a Maven <laughs> Camp or a Palman, and there's a number of other names like that. So big families and big families kind of have every once in a while they have a patriarch or a matriarch that's somebody that. Everybody, nobody messes with him to begin right. with. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling he was a guy who had permission to spank you anytime he needed. To. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's kind of the way those those families work. So uh, now you, I'm, I know Tara, you're sitting right next to one of your heroes, but I'm not going to let you I, name him because no, absolutely, he he without a doubt, my dad has been the biggest influence in my life. Um, I was just speaking with another woman in the room. Uh, Shortly, and and um, growing up, I went to the range with my dad, and you know I was very young. By that you mean like the gun the, range? The gun range, right. and uh, he taught me to shoot. He taught me everything I know about shooting, which helped me in 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 the Air Force. Um, I I was you know, I was in the garage getting dirty and and um, working on vehicles with him, changing tires and changing oil, bleeding brakes. And he also uh, had permission to spank you probably any time he needed to. <laughs> my parents, no, my parents didn't believe in spanking. Okay. I got a bar and soap in my mouth. Oh, that was about it. Um, but in, in, in the wintertime, I would be down in the basement with Dad as he was reloading ammunition and you know, pulling, sure. pulling the lever of the reloader. And, um, but I also had a lot of strong female influences in my life. Uh, as well, so um, you know, as far as sewing and uh, fiber arts and things like that, I so it wasn't all just um, 
It, and then I had a, a heavily male-influenced career in the military. I And then uh, for a short while, I, I worked at uh, an ammunition plant make, uh, working on a on a production line making 308 cases. Was that um, FMC by any chance? Uh, no? No. Minnesota Company or not? Yes, Minnesota okay. Company. Okay. Yeah. Which company was that? Uh, it's now called Vista Outdoors Federal okay. Ammunition. Federal. There you yep. go. Yep. Yep. Um, great place to work. Um, uh, and then I deployed and uh, came back and just um, had some some medical issues. And, uh, so... Um, so you're, you've 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 made the guy next to you uh, real proud, and also I think I saw his head swell a couple of sizes there. So yeah, when you're talking about your heroes, you mentioned your dad, Dave. Now we're going to go over to Dave. Dave, you must have some some uh, people that you've looked up to throughout your life. Uh, probably the most influential was my uncle Raymond. He was my mom's youngest youngest brother. Uh, he was only ten or twelve years older than I am, and so he had a great influence and. Uh, uh, I owe a lot to a Marine Master Sergeant by the name of Charlie Lamar, who uh, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I had in in Maryland had I not impressed him by polishing a drain in the head, mm-hmm. otherwise known as a bathroom. <laughs> and uh, he was a very influential, and he was a guy that taught you how to take care of things, and take care of the troops. Very good. Excellent. That's good to have a, have a, a hero like that. Now, uh, going over here to Jane, I'm, gonna, I'm curious to see if your hero comes from the appliance industry. Not or, even close. Not even. Uh, well, you know, going through high school, um, there was a teacher, Len Hel- Helwig, who was a shop teacher, okay. and he let the girls work in shop class. And that was definitely one of those things that, back in the late 70s, early 80s, that not many were doing, Mm -hmm. not letting them do things. And he really was a big influence. But one thing I figured out real quick was going to school wasn't really on my idea of fun. But uh, my father and several uncles all went in the service to get the basics. And I'm sure that was a big influence. Mm -hmm. And I have a very strong mother. Okay. Who, uh, yeah, directed things. There you go. Yeah, but, you need, you need to have that influence, and you know, kids kids nowadays. I'm sounding like an old yeah. <laughs> kids nowadays. You just don't know if they have uh, if they have any idea even of how or what a role model should be, or if they're maybe they're having it right now, but they don't they won't realize it until they're older. But I don't know how how they can go through. Uh, their childhood without discipline. And, and the military, for some people, I graduated from high school in 1976, and we had a number of uh, guys, as it was in, in my class, that had a choice of uh, the Army, the Marine Corps, or the county jail. And uh, they took the county jail, and, or, you know, th- th- their life was over. If they took the, the service, they had a real good chance to finally learn something that maybe was instilled on them by maybe a parent that wasn't quite strong enough to really, you know, guide them the way they, the way they should have gone. But uh, they all they all turned out the way they turned out. And you think maybe the military had a little, uh, at least a little bit of, of something to do with that. Uh, as you have um, come home and, and gone back to life, I know we have a, an instance here where PTSD has already been mentioned. Um, World War One, they called it shell shock. Remember, and it, it was something that was just you know 
it just happened. They just didn't really know how to treat it or talk about anything like this. We've evolved now from that through Vietnam and into Desert Storm and, and all the things that have come past it. Um, are you, and we'll stay with Jane as long as the microphone's in front of her, do you, do you feel like they've done a, a pretty good job of the, and, and I don't want to get in, the VA is a very controversial organization that they help a lot of people and some people get very frustrated with their timing and stuff, but do you think between uh, the government and the VA and some of those things, do you think that it's being addressed kind better. of where it should be? Better? Better. I have a friend that actually is doing acupuncture for oh. PTSD. They and, are, yeah, they're offering a lot more services. Like, really? And she volunteers her time. Yeah. Yay, Terry. Awesome. Yeah, very good. How about how about you there? Do you feel like uh, your time in Vietnam, you came back, and I know that whole that whole part of our history is still something that, that's... I wasn't active at all. I was too young at that time to be active in it, but when I look back at it, I just, uh, I'm just i very disgusted by the way uh, soldiers were treated when they came back and the general denial that the nation was in at that time. How do you feel about that as somebody well, who was there? I went from flying a mission to being, was in country, and then they took me out to an aircraft carrier, the Ranger, and there the carrier on board delivery aircraft delivered me to Subic Bay, and a day or so later an Air Force C-47 delivered me to Clark Air Force Base, which I spent Four days there, uh, I volunteered to give up my seat so a uh, Air Force family could fly together. So I you know, just figured it was something to do. And uh, you know, a day or two later, or after those four days, I'm in in Treasure Island, you know, and being discharged. And uh, so there was there was nothing nothing done uh, you know, towards you know, towards that and. And in fact, the people at Treasure Island, they tried to make our group clean their building for them and do all kinds of things that we felt we shouldn't, and we refused. Okay. And my last day in the regular Navy, the chief walked in, and there was about 30-some of us, and he had all our checks and our orders, and, and he told us, you're going to clean this building, otherwise you're going to sit here till midnight. And one of the spokesmen in the group, he stood up and said, we're going to sit. <laughs> and he had this pile of, of our orders and everything, and he threw it on the floor and walked out and said, get the, out of my Navy. There you go. <laughs> no, uh, nothing you know, in the line of, you know. At least you weren't spit on. You know, I'll just say it well, that way. Or That happened in San Francisco. That did happen? Okay. Yes, uh, okay. The, Common was, you know, baby killers, and and uh, uh, they weren't very, you know, weren't very nice. Well, I'm real happy. Uh, speaking in current time, um, I hear tons of people that will see my my cap, and other people that they see somebody in uniform, and it's like, hey, thank you for your service, and and where were you, and what did you do, and they they want to know those things. So I'm glad to see that since 1968 and 70s that 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 has has come around. So are you dealing at all with the VA? Do you have any uh, disabilities or any other things that you're getting any assistance with or anything? All I've done with pretty much the VA is is uh, is hearing hearing issues. Okay. And I'm about 60% deaf in my left ear. Yeah. My father was uh, worked with the 155s and 105s and he had a uh, one discharge right over his head. And he's, uh, I don't know if he's listening right now or not, but he's got the two hearing aids and he's had them for years and that was a VA-connected thing with him too. So I'm, I'm glad that, that you're able to take advantage of some of those services.
services. Tara, you uh, mentioned a little bit before, and I don't need you to get into anything that is uncomfortable. If you want to talk a little bit about your PTSD, um, please do. Yeah, I've received some pretty pretty good um, coping tools, tools and, and have been, um, I'm being treated at the Minneapolis VA, and um, they um, finding that Minneapolis I like much better than in St. Cloud, um, they treat you as a whole person. If you need this, they send you. The, you know, to the. If you need a certain thing, they send you to the right, right place. And um, and I think you know, as long as you, as long as you're following along with what they advise, um, you know, follow your treatment plans and do, you know, the right things. Then you have a you will have a more positive out come with the VA. Um, right now I'm uh, treating, they're treating me for um, triple negative breast cancer, um, which is um, probably the, the, the most um, difficult breast cancer to treat. Um, and they are just amazing. I have a coordinator that keeps track of everything for me. And um, I've, you know, the, the VA is covering everything from my surgeries to re restorative and and um, so far so good. The tr the everybody is just wonderful. That's good um, to hear. I'm, I'm I feel like they're they're really treating me as a whole person, not just. You know, hey, sit you in the chair and pump you full of drugs and and for this little one drugs. centimeter or five centimeter thing, we're going to actually treat you as a whole as a whole person. That's that's yep, great. Yep. Very and, good. And you know, I I thought I was having um, difficulty dealing with it emotionally, and and so then I you know, then I get phone uh, therapy support from the VA and. Um, well, that's yeah. that's excellent. I'm so glad to hear that you're you're getting attention and the help that you yeah. uh, that yeah, you need. They are, they are really yeah, through them too. They so. really uh, they really treat the whole person. Very good. Um, Very good. As far as Minneapolis goes. And looking over at Ted here, did you get ever get your fingers too close to a blasting cap or anything when you were over there? No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, did some things that probably would have gotten close to that, but um, but no. As far as like with the reintegration thing, I. Because of our two different depo deployments that I had, we when we came back, both of them you could see the progression. Because when we were in Kosovo in 03 to 04, that was also the initial push or invasion into Iraq. Um, so when we got back from that, there was workings on to get reintegrated, um, better um, seminars and things to go to, whether you were a single soldier or a Married soldier when he got back, um, he had the beginnings of the Beyond the Yellow Ribbon communities and coalition, um, and then especially when we got back from Iraq, it was even more in depth in 07, 08. Um, and as far as like the PTSD thing goes, I think every soldier, every service member that deploys for an extended period of time comes back with some level of it. Because you can't take somebody, whether you, you sat behind a desk on a, in a, 
on base the whole time or somebody that was out there in the infantry engaging the enemy every day. And for a year and bring them back mm-hmm. and think they're going to be the same. Yeah, you don't mentally, come back. Mentally, emotionally, any, physically. Right. It's just not going to happen. No. You know. No, and you don't uh, come back the same person. No, yeah, and the other thing was, uh, all of you have families that you left behind. I, my son, I uh, was on the phone with him. It was his birthday the other day, and uh, he said, uh, "Well, you know, Dad, I haven't seen you for two years," and he's in Boston. He's a he's a three hour air flight aircraft flight away, and he's been on boats and he's been out uh, in the Great Lakes and, and doing those kind of things. And when they talk about the sacrifice, your parents all made sacrifices. Your brothers and your sisters all made sacrifices. When, our children. And your children when you were gone. And uh, to some extent, your neighbors and your friends and people that go to your church and anything else. And uh, I think the way that any of these things heal is just to have conversation. And if you're, if you're brave enough to, to just, even some of the things you said here today, to say that to, uh, to people that you know, and they open up to the fact, acknowledging that and, and, and thanking you for it, it can be almost trite at times, but it, it still should be heartfelt that they did thank you for your service. And we're going to take one more trip around the table here, and then we're going to join uh, my uh, pre-recorded interview with 99-year-old Art Gugamus, World War II veteran, and we'll play that in its entirety. So if you're out there listening right now, we are going to go a little bit past uh, 3 o'clock. We had talked about stopping at 3. We'll be done at about 3.20 or 3.25, so do uh, bear with us. And if you heard this show today and you want to hear it again, it'll be available on our podcast. It takes a couple of days usually to get it up uh, for uh, listening to again, and if you've got friends or neighbors or somebody that, uh, that knew any of our panel here would like to hear the show, be sure and talk about it. And also, be sure and thank the Legion next time you're in here for being uh, very good hosts today to have us down here. They, they fed these vets, and they gave us a nice place, and uh, it's excellent to, uh, to have them here. One more thing right around the table real quick. If you've got a funny story, if you've got a, a crazy thing that happened to one of your fellow uh, uh, soldiers or sailors or uh, something that just you kind of think about every once in a while, it still makes you snicker from your time, either in basic training or even after you got out. Go ahead, Jane, why don't you start? I could see the light go on because you've got so many funny stories, I'm sure. So I guess my biggest thing is while I was in the reserves, um, everybody, you know, was all worried about what what do you do, whatever. I always seemed to pull the uh, two weeks active duty to go to Hawaii and uh, work on submarines in February and March. You worked that and, out, huh? And we were never invaded by the Canucks. The whole time. Never. <laughs> never, okay. never once. There you never go. Once. There you go. Dave, have you got a, uh, a funny thing that happened? Well, I've had many things, but one thing I would like to share with the listeners out there, and it's something that I found in my helmet in 1970. Of course, we were, as crewmen, we were just issued a previously owned helmet, and tucked near the earpiece was a folded piece of paper, and somebody, I don't know who the author is, but it reads, duty. Do not confuse duty with what others expect of you. They are entirely different. Duty is a debt you owe to yourself to fulfill obligations you have taken on voluntarily. It may entail years of diligent work or an instant willingness to die. Difficult this may seem, but the reward is self-respect. Wow, great words, great words. A wise, a wise man or, or a woman laid that uh, laid that paragraph out there with uh, with a great meaning. Tara, did you have a uh, an incident you'd like to maybe relate to before we uh, cut it off? Oh, you know, there was there's just so many experiences. Um, uh, one that was kind of maybe funny is is um, 
my unit was did and my reserve unit did annual tour in uh, Germany one year, and there was a satellite uh, uh, station up on top of a mountain about oh maybe a hundred kilometers away from the base, and they didn't have any water. Uh, so as a plumber, I joined. I went with active duty plumbers. Um, we all. Three of us piled in the front seat of a Hummer going down the Audubon in a Hummer, which if anybody's been on the Audubon, it's, it was a heck of a bumpy ride. <laughs> um, and fast, and, too. They don't drive slow. Oh, no, Audubon, no. But. And um, so we did our little you know, investigation, snooping around, looking into the well was at the bottom of the mountain, and the, the radar station was at the top of the mountain. And um, anyway, we thought maybe there might have been a water line break somewhere in the in the course, right, of, the, in the yes, course so of getting up the, there. The, 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 the piping uh, went, water line went right up the mountain and there was a clearing cut so that we could drive a vehicle and we drove down this mountain at a probably about oh, a good 45 degree angle and I had my, we had to brace my feet on the dashboard because we were such a steep angle, and we went right straight down the mountain in that Hummer, and a couple of trees were blocking the way. The Hummer just crawled right over the top of them, <laughs> and so that was. Uh, and then, the, then another another uh, real fun kind of thing that I remember is uh, when we were coming into Afghanistan. Um, if, uh, Bagram Air Base is kind of the Kabul area. It's kind of surrounded 360 degrees by mountains. So we did a combat descent, which meant we dropped about 20,000 feet in less than 10 seconds or so. And um, so there were, there were aircraft, aircraft pallets full of snow from, from the sitting out on the flight line at Kyrgyzstan, and that melted while we were in the air. And coming, doing that combat descent, um, the, the big water droplets the size of quarters or whatever just flew through the air and hung there like something from the movie The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, that, was, that was pretty fun. I, I, I wouldn't mind doing that again. But Well, <laughs> if you've got the money, they'll, they'll take you up to a short, short space and do that with you for, uh, for, for 90, love, 90 yeah, seconds. For, or, yeah, 90 seconds mm-hmm. for I don't know how many million dollars. Right. But... No, that was that was fun. I had a lot of uh, just many many fun experiences. Met some amazing people along the way, and um, you know my brothers and sisters from the from my reserve unit. We were together for you know, I was with them for 21 years, and uh, you, you you when you're with the same group of people for so long, you develop really you know they become not just your service fellow servicemen, they become your friends and your, your family, family. and. Yeah. Um, you know, to this day, I still you know, communicate, you know, almost weekly with with some of my close bonds, friends. Bonds yeah, that you'll bonds. you'll never it's, break. Yeah. So, and now now I'm looking at Mr. Maven Camp, and once again, I've mentioned I've known the name Maven Camp for a long time, and I imagine you probably had some fun times with your uh, with your mates uh, at some time or another. Oh yes, we did. Um, probably the most memorable one that I look back on was our final patrol that we did in Iraq, our last one before we were done for the rotation. 
And we had a device on the front of our vehicles called a Rhino, and it stuck out probably about anywhere from 10 to 15 feet, depending on where you adjusted it to. It was helped for defeat of IEDs. Well, on the front of mine, I had glued a black rubber duck that had devil horns on it. And so our platoon section became known as the devil ducks. Well, that was on the front of my vehicle for every patrol out there. Locals knew it was us when we rolled through because of it. Well, on the final patrol, my last vehicle, guys who actually, when we went out through the gate, they went out first so that they could provide security for the rest of us as we rolled out. And they had this, and I had no idea they had it on there, but they had this huge stuffed dolphin guppy. I don't know what it was, but it was had to be three, four feet long, and it was. they had that thing strapped on there as they went flying by me to go out the gate. And I don't think our whole patrol laughed so hard when that went by. It was just... So the duck had been, and shook our heads. The duck had been replaced by a dolphin. Yes. Right, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, a couple things here. In a few minutes, we'll be joining my interview with Art uh, Gugamus from Winstead, a 99-year-old World War II veteran, and uh, he did a great job on the interview. I want you all to stay tuned and, and listen to that. And I'd like to say to everybody in the room, a lot of you are veterans that didn't get a chance to be on the radio today, uh, my, my thought, my hope is to do this again and we'll mix it up and have a, a number of different people come in so we can hear their stories. And whether you're on the panel today or sitting in the gallery, let's give everybody in here a nice hand. How about that? All right. It was my honor to do this. Thank you all for your service. Thank you to everybody listening out there on the Internet and on the radio. Thank you for your service if you are a serviceman. And don't forget, thank them all when you get a chance to see them. Let them know you appreciate them. And our freedoms ride on the backs of these men and women every single day. So. We're going to join that interview now with uh, Art Gugamus uh, for Kendall Kubosh. Thank you very much. Uh, have a great Veterans Day. The American Legion in Maple Lake is a restaurant with a full-service menu, daily lunch specials, and salad bar. They have happy hour, bingo on Tuesdays, and meat raffles on Fridays and Sundays. Their hours are complicated, so listen closely. Mondays through Wednesday, 11 to 10 p.m., Thursdays, 11 to 11, Fridays and Saturdays, 11 till 12.30 a.m., and Sundays, 11.30 to 7. If you missed any of those times, just go on their Facebook page, the American Legion in Maple Lake. Try them out for lunch, and you'll be coming back for dinner. This is KRWC Buffalo. Kendall Kubosh, I'm here with Art Gugamus from Winstead. He's a uh, former U.S. Army soldier that served in World War II. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the years you were in service, your rank, and your outfit? I was in service from uh, 43 through 46. Uh, 1943 to 46, I think. believe that's right. And um, I was a uh, corporal in the uh, infantry, 2nd Division, 23rd Regiment, 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 23rd Regiment, and uh, we fought in Europe. So you uh, were drafted or did you uh, enlist? No, I was drafted. I had, I had my basic training with the Air Force. Then I was assigned to a Army specialized training, which was a officer school. So I spent nearly a year down in Kansas State College. Uh, then they broke up that program in anticipation of the landing on D-Day because they needed more troops, and they threw us all in the infantry. 
So I w- then I joined the uh, 97th Infantry Division, 97th Infantry Division, in uh, Fort Leonard Wood. From there, we transferred out to uh, Camp San Luis Obispo in California for uh, landing training on beaches. And uh, so we figured we'd be going to the Pacific Theater. However, before we were there a couple of months, or after we were there a couple of months, I got transferred, I got my furlough, and I was sent to the East Coast, clean across the United States, uh, to go to Europe. Then uh, after a short time, we traveled to Europe uh, unescorted on a big ship called the Mauritania. And uh, it took us, I think, five days. But I think we were down near the equator and then back up toward England. Uh, We spent about uh, 10 days in England. And then we crossed the channel and headed for the uh, uh, front lines. And uh, we joined uh, a division. We were going to be the backup for the 99th Division. So you weren't involved with the D-Day invasion? The D-Day had already happened? My unit was. The 2nd Division that I I was in, they had been there on D-Day plus one. And uh, I had fought their way all across France. But uh, I think it was probably about the second week of September, we were put into a position on the Siegfried Line, and we were the furthermost, uh, well, we were the only division in Germany at the time. All right, we got you to the Siegfried Line. We're going to take a short break here, and then we'll continue with your efforts in World War II right after this. This is Ron Larson with KRWC, inviting you to tune in this Saturday for a morning full of local news and information, featuring local and national news, a look at Wright County sports, current and upcoming weather conditions, including the Weather Journal at 7.30, when we take a look at listeners celebrating both a birthday or anniversary over the weekend. Also, don't forget about Tradio from 9.30 until 10. It's a perfect way to kick off the weekend with you, me, and KRWC. Kendall Kubosh back here with Art Gugamus. Art is going to be 98 years old in just a few days. He joined the service when he was 18. He went through basic training and then got shipped over to France and was positioned along the Siegfried Line. And tell us a little bit of uh, the kind of fighting you saw and the the enemy at that time and and some of the, the way things went. Was it a quiet time or were you right into battle? When we first got there, it was a quiet time because we were sitting out on a kind of a thumb and uh, we were preparing for winter. So we were back in the woods digging uh, uh, eight-man shelters and uh, it put three layers of logs over the top and then the dirt from the hole went on top of that. So it was relatively safe uh, unless you had a direct hit. Well, that's what we spent our time doing uh, on my 21st birthday, I made a patrol through the uh, dead man's land. Uh, was scared to death. However, uh, it was uneventful, which uh, I thank God for that. Uh, we held those positions then 
until the day before the bulge. I believe that was the 16th or 15th of December. And uh, we moved about uh, 4 four o'clock in the afternoon. They load us on trucks, and we moved further north to uh, a town called uh, Hunnigan, Hunnigan, Belgium. And we were supposed to be the backup to the division that was already, to the 99th division. So we got in there at midnight, and uh, they told us to, they split half our platoon, stayed in the house, and the other half dug in on the hill out in front in foxholes. So uh, we sat out there to try to get sleep. I was with a fellow called Hatfield, and uh, we sat sitting, sitting up with our knees to knees in a foxhole. And then early in the morning, a plane came over and started strafing, and uh, which we was, was pretty scared because uh, they were using 50 calibers. And uh, But anyway, uh, around, uh, they, they brought me back in the house for breakfast and change of clothes at that morning. And then at uh, 12 o'clock, we switched places again. And I went out in the foxhole, and my partner went back into the to get his refreshments. Okay, you were in a foxhole, and were you overlooking an area where the enemy may have been coming, or what was your job there in the foxhole? Yeah, we were on the edge of town facing east and southeast. And uh, it, it had been relatively quiet, but we, we were told we were the backup. Well, that wasn't quite true. About... Uh, Four, four o'clock that afternoon. Well, meanwhile, I was in this foxhole, and uh, I started looking for a better position because we had got in there at night, and I noticed down off to my right there was a hedgerow, and there was a foxhole there that somebody previously had built, had a cover over it. So I went down there and looked at it. It looked pretty good. And uh, it had a bunch of wet hay in it, so I cleaned that all out. And then I walked back up the hill. There was a little uh, hay barn, and I loaded up a bunch of hay on a wire and brought it down and put in nice dry hay and had that all set. So at 4 o'clock when my partner came down, I would show him where we moved. I uh, think I know where this story's going. I'm with Art Gugamus from Winstead. He's a World War II veteran, and we're going to continue this interview in a little set in a little bit here. Right now, he's in a a quiet spot in a foxhole in Belgium, waiting on the Germans to arrive. We'll be back with more after this. <laughs> Last Friday night, the St. Michael Albertville Knights rallied from 21 down to knock off Centennial in the playoffs. This Thursday night, they go up against Wyzetta in the state quarterfinals of the 6A high school football playoffs with a chance to advance to the U.S. Bank Stadium 
in the state semifinals. Pre-game coverage will start at 6.30. Opening kick from Park Center at 7 o'clock. It's St. Michael Albertville against Wyzetta. State quarterfinals in Class 6A Thursday night right here on AM 1360 KRWC. Your home for St. Michael Albertville Knights football. I'm back with Art Gugamus, a World War II veteran, served uh, in Belgium in 1920, in, excuse me, when he was 21 years old. And uh, we heard the story so far. He's in a foxhole in Belgium waiting for the Germans to arrive, and his partner is just coming back into the foxhole, and we'll join the story there. Um, at, at about uh, a precisely 4 o'clock, we were met with a very heavy barrage of artillery, and uh, just like that, the, the Germans start coming in waves. And uh, it said we were hit by, the history book says, we were hit by seven, seven different uh, attacks. And uh, at any rate, I stayed in a foxhole till 9 o'clock that night, and there was heavy fighting going on in the town right to my rear. And uh, finally, after uh, that late, I could still hear some American guns. So I said, it's now or never, and I grabbed my material and headed back up the hill. So uh, eventually we joined our, our, our troops, and uh, at, we were fighting viciously there. Uh, the rest of the evening, and at midnight we left there and moved further north to a, a big dam area. I I, I don't I I don't remember the name of the dam, but it was a rather large body of water, and uh, we spent the next couple nights there, and then we moved back to the what they call the Northern Shoulder, which was in Elsenborn. So uh, that we were credited with holding off the Germans from that point on. And But uh, out of that skirmish, we only had 47 men left from our company. And uh, seven from our platoon, and I was one of those. Out of, out of how many and when the battle started? Well, we had a full complement because we had just got over there. But our company had over to, a, as I recall, about 250 men. So in this battle, you uh, were taking artillery fire. Did you have any small arms fire? Did you see the enemy, or were they always uh, out of sight somewhere else? No, no, they were in sight. They would, they would come in hordes up over the hill. And uh, we saw lots of them, so it it wasn't very pleasant. It was a it was a rather uh, abrupt uh, introduction to what the hell that war really is. And you were moving north, you said, and that was a retreating posture by moving north. Yes, yes. That was the time at the time with the Germans with the Battle of the Bulge. That was their last great push. They hoped they they could push you right into the ocean. Uh, That's correct. And we were credited with, with uh, the failure of Hitler because he was driving toward Antwerp. 
And uh, we always hear about Bastogne. This area must have been uh, not too far from Bastogne. Bastogne was a little bit to our south and uh, west. But uh, a lot of the stories you hear on Bastogne are, are somewhat tarnished because Bastogne was a, a rest area prior to this attack. And uh, it was not heavily armed, but we, that was the place where all the reporters and the civilians were. So when this broke out, they were isolated. Uh, there was a big to-do about uh, General Patton coming, changing direction to go in there to save them. But that really never happened. Uh, we got... Uh, on, I think, believe Christmas Day, the sun came out and we were able, the skies cleared, so they dropped, they were able to drop ammunition to the to the, our troops in Bastogne. So uh, uh, a lot of that you read was uh, publicity. I'm with Art Gugamus, 97-year-old World War II veteran. We'll be back with another segment right after this. The American Legion in Maple Lake is a restaurant with a full-service menu, daily lunch specials, and salad bar. They have happy hour, bingo, on Tuesdays, and meat raffles on Fridays and Sundays. Their hours are complicated, so listen closely. Mondays through Wednesday, 11 to 10 p.m., Thursdays, 11 to 11, Fridays and Saturdays, 11 till 12.30 a.m., and Sundays, 11.30 to 7. If you missed any of those times, just go on their Facebook page, the American Legion in Maple Lake. Try them out for lunch, and you'll be coming back for dinner. Kendall Kubosh back with Art Gugamus, a 97-year-old World War II veteran, uh, served his time in the European theater, and uh, he's in Belgium at this point, and they're fighting off hordes one after another of uh, German soldiers. So, Art, you're continuing on now from your, your last little segment. Okay. To tell about some of your personal uh, things that happened there. We moved back to uh, Elsenborn Ridge, and uh, there was a, it was a collection of uh, American troops that came from all different corners where they had been shot up pretty bad. So we were up there waiting to... Uh, we held a line of defense... But we were uh, bits and pieces from many squadrons. And uh, so uh, I, we were there until the new troops came over and uh, refilled our ranks. And then we went back in the attack toward uh, Germany. And uh, I was uh, in this bunch from that time, was shortly after Christmas until February 4th. We were moving down toward a town called Schleiden, and uh, I was wounded with a piece of shrapnel in my upper left leg. And uh, when I got to the aid station, they told me that my feet were frozen. So I got sent to the rear, and I spent uh, roughly two to three weeks in three different hospitals one in Liège, Liège, Belgium. The second one was Le Mans, France. And the third one was in Paris. And uh, finally, when they uh, released us from the medical buildings, 
uh, I was assigned to a traffic group in Paris, and I was pretty happy because I didn't have to go back into the front lines. But uh, in Paris, we ran a big mess hall in, in the East Station where we fed transient troops. And uh, that was very good service. Uh, we had uh, French chefs, and uh, I think we had several hundred girls that would wait on the tables, and we had that open 24 hours a day. So now you're into spring of 1945, and yes. you're still overseas, and you're still near the battles, but not involved with the battles. Not How did you hear about the uh, the end of the war, and what kind of reaction did you and the other troops okay. have? I was on duty that night at the mess hall when it came over. I don't know if it was the radio or how, but they said that uh, Germany had surrendered. That was on May 8th. And uh, I'd say about a month later, we, were, we formed a convoy and uh, went to Berlin. And uh, the convoy was just jeeps and trucks of about 50 people, and we were part of Ike's command. And uh, I didn't know that at the time. But we went in there to, uh, I didn't, but my my officer did, to uh, uh, deal with the Russians on on uh, assigning the, the different zones out of Berlin the British, the French, and the American zone. So that's what happened. I was one of the very first Americans into Berlin's after the Russians took it. Uh, from then on, I was appointed to a, a side to a little town called Helmstead, and that was on the British-German border, and it was 110 miles from Berlin. And uh, that's where I served the rest of my tenure before they shipped me home. Did you remember coming back to Winstead? Do you remember what day it was uh, and, and what kind of reception you got? No, I don't really remember. Uh, I could look it up because I've got someplace. Uh, my mom kept track of all the ships coming in. And she's got that newspaper clipping of who was on it and what day they arrived in New York. Needless to say, I'm sure you were extremely glad to be home, and I know your family was glad to be home. So the war's over, and you're back mostly safe and sound. You've got a little bit of shrapnel injury. You've got a, a, a few things, a few minor things. Now you're back in Winstead, Minnesota. And tell a little bit about your life. What did you do as a, as a businessman, and, and what did you do since you came back? Well, when I got out of the... Service. I went to the GI Bill, and I went to study photography in Chicago and Baltimore. And uh, I think I had spent about a year at the two places. And then I came back to Winstead, and I opened a studio in my basement where I took wedding pictures and uh, high school graduations and so forth. But back then, that was all black and white, and you did a lot of hand coloring. And uh, 
it was very, uh, very time consuming. And, and you didn't make a lot of money. Uh, I got, I met a girl and got married about, uh, in 1951. And, uh, we raised our family here. We had eight children. And, uh, further on, uh, my brother and I owned a decorating business. And then later on, I went to work for Sterner Lighting. And I worked there for 38 years in, uh, in the uh, design department. And uh, I feel I had a very fruitful life. And I lived a full one uh, due to that experience. Well, Art, I can... Uh speak for a lot of people from Winstead, you were truly an American hero. Somebody that when I grew up, if you remember these names, I remember at our kitchen table when my dad would have Legion meetings, uh, Orville Branser was there. Uh, you were there. A lot of World War I uh, guys were there. And I was unfortunately too young to appreciate the history that was sitting right there in my house. But I thank you for your service. And I thank you for this interview. You're quite welcome. That's Art Gugamus, World War II veteran. Happy birthday to you, Art. That's coming up real soon. You're going to be 98. 98. And for a man who went into the service at 18, came out a little after he was 21 years old, uh, what a life-changing experience. And I thank you for uh, everybody in the area for your service. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Kendall Kubash for KRWC. Conversations with Veterans on KRWC Radio has been brought to you by the American Legion in Maple Lake, a full-service restaurant with daily lunch specials, a salad bar, happy hour, bingo, meat raffles, and much more. Like the American Legion in Maple Lake on Facebook. This has been a special presentation of KRWC Radio.